You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. There are people out there that know a lot about me, but they see me as this great athlete, but they don't know the challenges that I was faced with and how I dealt with those different obstacles and how I had to be very strong mentally. Olympic gold medalist Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Sports Illustrated for Women once called Jackie Joyner-Kersey the greatest female athlete of all time. With her almost superhuman abilities in the heptathlon and long jump, Joyner Kersey accumulated a stack of gold medals and world records in her Olympic career. And even after her Olympic career ended, she was briefly even a professional basketball player. In 1997, Jackie Joyner Kersey wrote her autobiography, a book called A Kind of Grace. And that's when I had the chance to meet her and talk with her for a few minutes. So here now from 1997, Jackie Joyner Kersey. The title kind of grace came from me realizing the things that I was doing on the athletic field are looked upon as being aggressive, grueling. Um, and I see what I do in the heptathlon as being very grueling, but a kind of grace. Uh, there's grace in what I try to do. Uh, the way I move my body or, or the events that I, you know, try to excel in, uh, bo- both on and off the field, that I think that's a grace within me that some people, uh, if they see me on the athletic field, they fail to see that. But if they come in contact with me in person, then they are open to that. And that's where kind of grace came from. Do you suppose, are, there, are there still people in the, now in 1997, are there still people who will watch the Cowboys and Redskins and say, whoa, what great athletic prowess, but then look at the WNBA or the WABL and say, gee, I, I don't know, I just, it doesn't look right. <laughs> you know, there are still uh, people out there who are very skeptical, but there are, I, 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 I feel that there are more people, uh, more um, willing to accept women athletics than they are the, the ones that are very skeptical. It's almost as if you have to prove the uh, prove them wrong, prove that you can do this. And then once people either click on the TV or come to an event, you know, you have almost captured them, and and they're they go away in awe. And they you hear people saying, "Oh, I didn't know women could play like that. <laughs> you know, oh, I didn't know women could do this." <laughs> How did you decide that the time was right to write a book like this? I felt that the reason I felt at this time. Uh, to write a book was because I was I was slowing down. Uh, last year I was playing in the ABL in Richmond, and I had a lot of time. Uh, I knew the '96 Olympic Games was my last Olympics. Uh, I had been asked before to write a book, but I really, you know, didn't want to write a book because I still felt that I was still competing and still doing other things. But at this time, after the '96 Olympic Games, I felt the time was right to really you know, share my story with people. And there are people out there that know a lot about me, but uh, I don't, I feel that what people see, they see me as this great athlete, but they don't know the challenges that I was faced with and how I dealt with those different obstacles and how 
I had to be very strong mentally. And even though I was gifted with this talent, still I had to be very strong to do the things that I want to do on the athletic field as well as off the athletic field. Well, that's the point you make in the book is that it's one thing to be born with a talent. And certainly you were born with a talent. But just being born with it doesn't make you an Olympic medalist. Right. Uh, there are things that you have to do. And there, 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 there are going to be times when you're faced with questions uh, should I do this or or shouldn't I? And and there are times when you're going to think that you at the end of your rope or the struggle is getting the best of you. And that and those are the times when you have to be willing to take those extra two steps because if you can go over that line, you don't know what's going to be waiting for you. But some of us, we come to that door and we're afraid to open that door and we decide that, you know, I'm just going to give up. And when you're about to give up, you never know what was going to be on the other side of that door. So for me, uh, even as a little girl, in kind of grace, I expressed my relationship with my mom. And the little girl in me always knew that there was something I wanted to do. I always felt like my security blanket was going to be there, my parents and my mom. And when that security blanket was no longer there, when my mom passed away, all of a sudden this little girl had to become a woman. At, at the age of 18, and I had to be independent. Now I have to start making decisions on my own that usually you have someone else with you to say, yeah, I think this is the right thing for you to do. So I had to really think hard and long about some of the decisions that I made because I was actually setting my life up from that point on, how I was going to live from that point on. I, when you were talking about your mother, I, I had to picture, I'm, I've got two little girls. Well, they're not little anymore. They're teenagers now, but I can picture them jumping off the porch. Dad, come and look what I could do. And I, would, I, I hope that I wouldn't have been the kind of parent to say, that's nice. <laughs> Just, you need, you need encouragement from those right. closest to you, don't you? Yes. Uh, you definitely need encouragement. You always, you need a hug. You need someone to always pet you on the back saying, that's okay, but if I tell you not to do something, you don't do it, <laughs> you know. And and when you are you have when you always have that, and and it's almost if you take it for granted, and you don't realize that you took that for granted when it's no longer there. And so for me, I either I had my mom, and my mom was always telling me things, but you know I'm like, yeah, I'm listening, you know. <laughs> but you know, I really don't want to hear this right now, mom, but. Uh, when she passed away, then all of a sudden, I had to reflect back on some of the things that she was saying to me because now, okay, this is what she meant by, you know, being able to take care of myself, you know, make sure I listen to my elders and make sure I have respect for myself. If I have respect for myself, I have respect for others and uh, a whole, you know, a, lots of things that, um, you know, you miss. And... And now I find myself in a position where I'm in Los Angeles, thousands of miles away from home, trying to make a decision about being a woman now, but I'm just 18. Mm. And I still want to do athletics, but I also need to get an education because I didn't think athletics was going to take me anyplace. So I got to make sure I study hard so I can get a good job and, and, and things will work out. But it was just fortunate that I continued to excel in athletics and a lot of things continued to happen. And and just never losing sight of what my dreams and my goals were. And then dealing with, you know, certain obstacles, being an asthmatic, living in denial, not wanting to take my medication. That's another 
uh, entity as far as having your mom. Your parents are always there to remind you you should be doing this. And there, too, I lived in denial. I didn't have that, that person to say, Jackie, did you take your medicine? You know, <laughs> I'm doing it my way, and I almost found myself uh, not being able to do anything anymore, not being able to run, uh, you know, just living in denial and, and little things that you take for granted. And when when you realize that you have taken those things for granted, you have to face things uh, face on and figure out what's best for you. It must give you a little bit of a chill now and then to realize that you're almost as old now as your mother was when she passed away. Yes. Uh, I think about that quite often because it kind of scares me because I, I think, uh, okay, 37, 38, oh, I pray, I, you know, I pray, and this might sound odd to the person that might be listening that, oh, I want to live past 37, 38. You know, those are the thoughts that run through my mind at times because when my mom passed away, it wasn't like she was sick. Uh, she caught spinal meningitis and she had the, the worst kind of, the worst kind of meningitis you can have that destroyed all her organs in her body. She had irreversible brain damage. And when I came from college and went to the hospital and saw her, she was in a coma. Uh, they had her like quarantined and it was just, um, it was an unbelievable sight to walk into her room and to see the person that you love so much cover in plastic and her head is swollen, her whole body is swollen, and her skin is dark and she doesn't appear to be the same person that I call mama. But realizing that I know that's my mama, but how upset I was that this disease had taken total control of her and had just ruined the person that I truly love and I would continue to love, but it was just really an unbelievable sight. After this short break, the one word the Jackie Joyner Kersey never uses. Now back to my 1997 conversation with Jackie Joyner Kersey. Does it make you more more anxious to have children of your own? Yes. Uh, I want to have children. I want to, uh, Bobby and I, we sat down, we talked, and uh, talked about storing the family. Uh, this year I want to finish up athletically with the Goodwill Games in New York mm -hmm. and, you know, and just really slow, slow, slow down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I slowed down a little bit, but it's to the point now where, I do have uh, my energies are pulling somewhere else and not just totally on the athletic field. But that's, yeah, exactly. That's another one of the themes of your book is the timing for things has to be right. I mean, right. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't be thinking about settling down having a family 10 years ago because right. the time just wasn't right. Right, and that's what, and that's what kind of grace is all about. Is e even though it's an autobiography, the time is right. You know, the time is right for me to do this, to have this book, to share my story, and in hopes that when people pick it up, that it would touch all people of all ages in a way of encouraging them and letting them know that, you know, if you believe and, and you set goals, that anything is possible and anything can happen. And I stress to some of my friends that, because people say, well, you could have had a baby three or four years ago. It was always my, my belief 
and 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 in my heart, when it, when I told when when Bobby and I would talk about it, I would say, you know, I do not want to raise a son or a daughter up on the track. I think that we should be able to devote our time to them, not have them over in the sandbox while I'm over there working out. And I don't knock anyone, you know, some of my friends have had kids and have come back, but to me, I'm that type of person. When I'm devoted and focused on, on, on something, I'm focused on that. And that's the, that's the way I have become successful. It's are there some people you suppose who, is it inevitable, let's put it this way, is it inevitable that some people will look at somebody who does a almost superhuman performance, they think, oh my gosh, a human being shouldn't be able to do something like that, and say, must be drugs, she must be, she must be on drugs. You know, and that's another, uh, like another story in Kind of Grace, dealing with the controversy, dealing with people not appreciating your talents or saying that you're good because you're gifted. It's always, it always had to be something else. Either I had to be taking something or it was just impossible for me to do it, you know, and, but I think that, uh, through it all, that all the years I competed and everything, I, I just think that a lot of people got on the bandwagon or a lot of people were just searching for something that wasn't there and not realizing how many people they were hurting in the process. And I don't think they really cared because it was more about getting the headlines. It was easier to have uh, a, a headline saying that maybe uh, so-and-so, uh, a group of athletes, test positive, and they had no facts to back that up, you know, and most people don't read the body of the letter. It's just the headline and how it hurt so many people. And not so many people, but I honestly feel it hurt our sport. And I'm not, I'm not here to say that uh, every athlete out there is clean. I'm not saying that. I mean, there are some that cheat, but... Mm -hmm. You have your random drug testing. When it came to me, you know, I was offended by the point, by the fact that I was randomly drug tested more often than a whole lot of people. And, and to me, for someone to say to me that that's because you, you're so good in other events was an insult, you know, and I didn't mind taking the test. I didn't mind skipping across the country to go take a test, but it was really appalling in a sense that uh people would think this and at times it became a witch hunt mm -hmm. and I, i'm for random drug testing i'm for you know doing things right but there is a principle of the matter you know i felt that if i was being tested every weekend and everybody else should have been tested every weekend then you know <laughs> it's okay <laughs> but including, just including, <laughs> including the judges and the referees <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, if, if, let's face it, if you really get conspiracy minded, you could say she won because the judge is on something. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. All right. So we stretch the point a little bit there. But uh, you've had to face so much in your life. I mean, so much. Uh, almost every page of this book, there is a triumph, but there is also a, a either a tragedy right. or, there, or there is a big challenge. Uh, what What is the thing that centers you, that keeps you going through everything? I think the thing that centers me is that, and hopefully people will find this encounter your grace, is that I'm true to myself. I, I keep things, I'm a realist, I keep things in perspective, and I try not to take anyone or anything for granted. And, and when it comes down to competing, I don't overlook anyone, and when it comes down to being asthmatic, I have to respect asthma as I do my opponents. And I have to prepare myself to be in the best shape possible when I'm competing. 
and I have to also take my medicine regularly so I can compete. So, and as long as I'm true to myself, and even though I might offend someone, but at least you know where I'm coming from. I'm honest and I'm straightforward with you. There's no hidden agenda when it comes to me. And I will also tell our listeners right now, I guarantee there is no way any reader is going to make it through the last few pages of your book, The Letter to Your Mom, with a dry eye. It is not going to happen. That would, why did you put that letter in there? I'm just curious. I put the letter in there because I have a difficult time with saying goodbye. And even I have friends today would say to me, Jackie, you just hang up the phone. It's, it's hard to say goodbye. Oh, oh you're and, one of those who won't say goodbye. <laughs> right. I just oh. say, oh, I talk to you later. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll see uh. you later. And I hang up and they, why you hang up on me? I was like, well, I said I'll see you later. I'll talk to you later. And, and then also I felt that in a kind of grace was almost like therapy for me. And even though, you know, I, I, I miss my mom and, and she's always a part of my spirit, but, it's just hard saying goodbye. And here was a chance for me to almost say, like, I love you. And this is like saying goodbye. It's like letting go, but I'm still holding on, on you know, spiritually. Jackie Joyner Kersey is 61 now. And just a few weeks ago, she was inducted into the International Sports Hall of Fame. And you can get your copy of A Kind of Grace by clicking on the link in our show notes or at our website, heardeverything.com. And that's where you'll also find my 1990 interview with another Olympic gold medalist, Carl Lewis. I was very naive. All the way, even through the 84 Olympic Games, I was very naive. And I had to learn it myself, on my own, with my family and friends, and I had to learn it the hard way. And my 2000 conversation with another Olympic gold medalist, Mary Lou Retton. That smile that you see on the outside, that I'm somewhat known for and famous for, comes from a place deep inside of me. And I really am fundamentally happy. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. I do hope you'll subscribe today. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, to mark this weekend's upcoming coronation of Britain's King Charles III, we'll revisit my 1991 interview with British journalist and author Andrew Morton. In America, you live in a very free society where information comes out very easily. And British society is a very secretive society. And the most secretive institution of all is the royal family. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.